0: Turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Look at verse 17. It says, "You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." And I want to continue looking today at GO, uh, the third keyword in Liberty's vision. And specifically, I want to give attention to the GO in service and look at why it's important. Why feed the poor? Why give financial aid to people? Why shelter the homeless? And more specifically for us, why do a VBS at Link? Well, what we're going to see today is that God himself puts strong emphasis on helping the downtrodden. In fact, God had a particular concern that those in the society whose financial and social status was not secure would be treated properly and justly. So when it comes to this issue, there's what I like to call the trio of justice. The orphan, the widow... the sojourner. Your Bible might call it the stranger, might refer to the sojourner as the alien. These at times in the scriptures are grouped together, and at other times certain ones are specifically addressed in regards to meeting their needs. Now the sojourner, that's just the Hebrew word ger, that's the resident alien, okay, the foreigner who resided with the Israelites under their protection, but was not an Israelite himself. Though there were some areas <clears throat> that were barred from him regarding worship, under the law, he was treated as the Israelites were. In the passages we're going to look at, you will not always see the poor specifically addressed. Why? Because the Bible assumes something when it's talking about the trio of justice, when it's talking about the orphan, or we might call them the fatherless, when it's talking about the widow when it's talking about the sojourner, the Bible assumes in addressing those class of people that they were going to be financially challenged, which makes sense. The orphan is going to be financially challenged. The widow is going to be financially challenged. So that they would have less and that they would have needs. Why should this even be an emphasis? Because we emphasize what God emphasizes. If we look at the scriptures, we see a point of emphasis, then it should be a point of emphasis for us in our own daily lives. Ultimately, this comes down to a love issue. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the thing. When you love someone... You guys love someone? At least one person, hopefully. When you love someone you show it. When you love someone, you show it in real, tangible ways. And when you love someone, you express it in ways they can see, feel, hear, observe, and receive it. Now, every parent buys their kids birthday presents. Why? Because you love them. Uh, But can't you love them without giving them presents? It'd be a lot easier on the pocketbook, but you want to show that love. You want to celebrate that day, and you want to show them that you do indeed care. And in fact, if you didn't get your kid a birthday present, he might wonder, she might wonder, if you do care. So we say it, we express it, and we show it. Now when we talk about meeting physical needs, there's some objections to putting any type of focus on this in some people's worldview. They think physical needs are superfluous. They think it doesn't really help people in regards to salvation. They think it's a wrong focus, a misguided focus. Some might even call it a necessary evil. We do it because it's the right thing to do, but it doesn't really make much difference. Some people are concerned of watering down the gospel, that it's a compromise. Now, if that becomes the only focus or the primary focus, yes, we can compromise. And all the above things have some elements of truth to them. And sometimes this area of meeting physical needs has been abused. But more often, it's neglected. It's neglected. And just because something has been misused or abused doesn't mean that there's not a proper use for it. It's the Latin saying, "abusus non tollat usum. Just because someone abuses something doesn't mean there's not a proper use for it. We might say it like, don't throw the baby without the bathwater. Out the baby with the bathwater. Why is it when people who haven't been to church in 10 or 20 or 30 years, maybe never, when they need money, They call the church and ask for help. They've been trained the church is a resource. And actually it is a resource. We actually want them to call. We want them to call the churches first because we want to be the ones that are the first responders, so to speak. We want to be there when they need help and when they're hurting. We want to be the ones that can come alongside and offer aid and assistance, and we want to use our place to minister truth and compassion. So we use these opportunities <clears throat> to display the grace of God to these people. We use these opportunities to share the gospel. When people are hurting, think about this, when people are hurting, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, they're open to spiritual things they realize they need help in their situation. They realize what they've done so far has not helped their situation. So they're more willing to listen. Take our VBS at Link. We had an amazing week at the Link VBS. There was about 15 to 20 kids each day from um, Hidden Valley, which is right where Link's at. Um, If you count all our kids, there was probably about 15 to 20 of our own kids. Um, And we had... A number of adults that helped out. Um, our kids loved it. The Hidden Valley kids loved it. Um, it was a good week. Basically, and we've kind of explained it before, but the uh, free lunch program that is available to kids during the normal school year obviously isn't available when school is not in session. So Link sees this need and steps into that situation and offers free lunches to the kids. So those kids can come and they can eat lunch. But Link uses that as an opportunity to bring in different churches to basically run what we call a mini VBS or VBS Lite. So they'll come in and eat and then we'll run a VBS for those that want to stay. Now last year some kids left um, after lunch. This year no kids left. So it's pretty cool. They all stayed, about 15 to 20 of them each day. We started with um a craft which by the way Susie Olenicek and Jerry did an amazing job with the crafts <clears throat> They took craft like to a level I didn't even know you could take it to All right They did awesome I mean when when the when the link workers are participating in the crafts and they want to take their thing home like you know it was a good craft So they did awesome So we start with the craft, um, then we'd have a Bible time, Um, it worked out well, we used the story of reality just like we did at camp, Um, it worked out perfectly, five days, we went over each day, um, one of the five key topics, God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection. Um, Each day, because we didn't always know if the kids were going to come back, we tried to work an element of the gospel um, into our presentation, so uh, justice shared, I shared, um, Andrea shared. It was really good. Then we'd have a game time, which was really good because it gave an opportunity for some of our older youth um, to step up and help out with that. Um, and, and then we kind of wrapped up with stuff. And the kids actually, um, I was, at some points when we wrapped up, like, the kids would actually hang around for, like, we'd be done, and I'd be like, it's time to go, people. <laughs> and some of those kids would keep, like, hanging around, but that was, it was, it was neat because they they didn't want to go home um, every day. So we had a a good week. There were some um, fireworks in there, but there's always going to be fireworks in in those type of ministries. When God's doing something, the enemy wants to do something as well. So um, we didn't let that discourage us. We kept pressing on. Uh, Why do we meet physical needs? Why do we have a lunch program? Why have an organization like Link? Well, last week we saw that Jesus' ministry was not just about preaching and teaching, but it was also about meeting physical needs. Then we saw him, um, as he instructed his disciples, they took his words and saw his example, and then they implemented it themselves. You know, he sends them out, right? And they go to the different cities, but they're not just preaching and teaching. They're also ministering. This week I want to look at the testimony of the Old Testament. What does God say regarding the poor? What does he say regarding physical needs? First, we're going to look at some of the truths that we see in Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 19. Look at verse 17. It says this, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. I don't know about you, but um, if I'm going to lend to anybody, I want to lend to the Lord, right? Because he's going he's to be fair and just and make sure he pays back whatever he says. And here he says, whoever is generous to the poor, lends to the Lord, he will repay him for his deed. Look at Proverbs 28. Starting in verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Again, that first part, whoever gives to the poor will not want. As you're being generous, God will make sure that your needs are taken care of. But then that second part, basically, he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Don't turn a blind eye to those who need help. That's kind of the second part of it. Look at Proverbs 22. Verse 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Now, a hallmark of generosity is sharing or giving to others. Do you want to be considered generous? I think most people do. Then you give from what God has given you. And if I say uh, this, this person over here or that person over there is generous... What does that imply? When you hear of a generous person, what comes to your mind? Well, in some way or some area, that person gives of themselves to others. It could be their finances. It could be their time. It could be their abilities. But they give of themselves. They're generous. Sometimes we qualify it. This person is generous with their time. But even then, we know... They are saying they're willing to spend their time in service of others. So we see these truths in the Proverbs encapsulated in these sayings about being generous to the poor. Second, I want us to look at the sacrificial system and see how it was set up in regards to the poor. Look at Leviticus chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 7, and then we're going to jump down a couple verses. Verse 7, but if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord, as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So you notice the normal sacrifice was a lamb for this sin. But the Lord is making an exception. If he cannot afford a lamb, this is what he does, two turtle doves. Or two pigeons, jump down to verse eleven, but if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring us his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. okay, so in and, and the first one, the person is poor, and then it's almost like in the second one they're really poor, like they can't even afford the turtle doves or the pigeons. So the sacrificial system was set up. And it kept in mind that some people were at a disadvantage economically. Look at Leviticus chapter 12. After a lady gave birth, she had to go through a time of ritual cleansing, and then she had to make, uh, bring a sacrifice. Verse 6, and when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then shall she, she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb... Then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Again, we see in regards to the lady having had a baby, the sacrificial system was set up to make sure that the poor were not disadvantaged. They still had to make a sacrifice, right? But it was set up that they were not disadvantaged. In the way, and what was required of them. We also have what was called the poor tithe, if you look at Deuteronomy 14, verse 28. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, And the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So every three years, you'd take a tithe of the crop, 10%, and you'd give it to these people. The Levite, the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner. So God was providing for these people. There was still something required of them, but it was proportionate to the resources they had. That's the sacrificial system. Then we're going to see specifically some provisions of food and what we might call the gleaning laws. Look back at Leviticus chapter 19. In verse 9 it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. The poor here, that would be encapsulating Those two other groups. You got the sojourner, then you got the widow, and then you got the orphan, or maybe the fatherless, as some versions say. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. Verse 19: When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Now, in cases like gleaning, this is important, and I want you to notice it. How did the distribution of the food occur to the sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless? They had to go get it, right? I mean, did the farmer totally clean his field and keep it in the barn, and then when the people were hungry, they had to come and knock on his door and get it? And then he would hand it out? No. In this case there's actually work involved. They had to work for the food. Granted, it was laying literally right there on the ground for the crops. The fruit trees, whatever was left, they could go get. But they did have to do something in order to get that food. Now, there's a a famous, well-known Bible story regarding gleaning. Does anyone know which book that's in? Ruth, right? And Boaz tells his workers in Ruth chapter 2, he says, he's instructing them, look, because she's poor. She's actually poor. She's poor. She's the widow and she's really the sojourner, right? She's a resident alien. Um, But he's instructing his workers, like, don't mess with her. Like, she's doing what the law says and we're going to let her do it. But he goes on and it says, also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So the law said, like, if it falls out or as you're going along, like, just don't strip the entire land completely of every little tiny square inch. But he's saying, hey, we've got bundles of it. I actually want you to intentionally leave some on the ground. Like, make sure she has more than what she needs and anyone else in our fields. This was about roughly 100 to 200 years later, from when the command was given, at least, and the Israelites are still obeying this command. They're still following it. So it applied for the gleaning laws. Let's look at lending money, Leviticus 25. Starting in verse 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. And notice what it says in verse 36. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. So even in regards to lending out money, the requirements for the poor the widow, the fatherless, for those two was what? No interest charging, no profits made. Would that cost you something as a worker? Yeah, I mean, you would lose the ability to turn a profit on whatever job you were doing for that person. If you were a, a money lender, there's not, you're, just, you're hoping, and you're probably a little concerned about lending money to a poor person, But they're instructed to do it and they're told, what? No interest. No interest. Perhaps if our laws, maybe, in America regarding this were set up a little bit better, then we wouldn't have people defaulting on their loans. I don't know. It's possible. Generally what happens is is the poor get gouged. They get gouged at, at insane interest rates. And even if you drive down... Highway K, there's these little loan places. And when you do the math, um, it's not pretty. The little payday loans. There is also just an overarching idea of basic provision. Look at Deuteronomy 24. Verse 10. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan... Shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And there shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. What's the idea here? You need to make sure that the poor have whatever they need to make it through that night. And if they've pledged you something, then each night you're going to return whatever they need to make it through that. In this case, It's basic clothing, essentially. It goes on, verse 14. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day, before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. So, the hired worker literally depended on getting paid each day because he actually didn't have any money saved up and he needed that money to buy the food for the next 24 hours. So to say, I'll pay you next week or I'll pay you at the end of the week, the poor didn't have that as an option. So poor, they have no resources available to them. Again, the Lord is setting it up to make sure that they are taken care of, that they are provided for, that they are not taken advantage of, and that each, here, the person has a job, right? They're working, but they're still, these like a labor law, really. Make sure it's a fair wage and that they're paid at the appropriate time. Here's my question. Who does this apply to? It applies to Everyone. Everyone had a part to play in helping the poor. You were lending money? You had to consider the law, apply it, and follow it. You had fields of wheat or any type of grain? You had to consider the law, apply it, and follow it. You had vineyards? You had to consider the law, apply it, and follow it. You had fruit orchards? You had to consider the law, apply it, and follow it. You were a priest overseeing the sacrifices? You had to consider the law apply it, and follow it. You were a manager with workers you hired. You had to consider the law, apply it, and follow it. No one was exempt. Now, who are these commands addressed to? The people. The people of Israel. These verses we've looked at, for the most part, are addressed to the community. And the community is comprised of individuals. Notice that the weight of responsibility here is not on the civil government. Does the government play a role? Yes, it passes the laws. It enforces the laws. It upholds the laws. But who abides by them and carries them out? The citizens. The farmer is not an elected official, but the law applies to him. The people themselves know the laws and follow and uphold them. Now, something that was helpful for me I served many years as the finance chairman at Liberty, and it was helpful for me. I dealt with many cases inside and outside the church for people making uh, requests for financial aid. And it was helpful to realize there's two categories when you want to talk about the poor. There's really two categories. One would be the deserving poor, and one would be the undeserving poor. And coming to that realization helped me As I looked at the different cases that came to us in deciding where help should be given or not given, the deserving poor would be those in need who are unable to work because they're too old, they're disabled, they're sick. These people should be helped. The undeserving poor are people who don't want to work, they're looking for a handout, they're lazy. And the Bible addresses these people in a rather straightforward way. Proverbs calls them the sluggard. Right? Proverbs 20 The sluggard does not plow in the autumn, he will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 21 The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. That's the undeserving poor. Now, listen, the undeserving poor, they can be helped, but the help will look different. It'll look different than it does for the deserving poor. And at times, it can be tricky differentiating between the two. We want to err on the side of helping if we're not sure, err on the side of assisting. And, and here's the thing if, you're gonna, if you personally, which you should, we're commanded to, are going to help the downtrodden, you're going to get burned occasionally. All right? I've gotten burned occasionally. This church has gotten burned occasionally. We still err on the side of helping. All right? <clears throat> God takes very seriously our finances and how we handle them. And robbing the poor is something that God calls an abomination. That means it's serious. That he's not messing around. So whether it's our finances or our interaction with other people's finances, God takes notice and he warns us and tells us to be gracious and loving towards others, including our interaction with their finances. Now, Sometimes I'll, I'll do some, some side jobs just, just to make um, a little extra money. And uh, the other week, this lady, who I'd helped before do some a pretty big job um, staining her deck, um, had called and wanted me to come look at some stuff, and and so I was there helping her do a few things, and then um, I had, she had asked me to do some other things that I kind of felt were out of my area of expertise, so I had referred them out. And it, long story short, it went really bad for this lady interacting with some of these other workers. So she still needed that stuff done, and she she was like, "Can you just?" Do those things to the best of your ability, and um, just charge me whatever. And I was thinking, lady, don't don't ever say to anybody, just charge me whatever. <laughs> like, don't don't do that. Because that's, I feel like, especially when you're elderly, you're just saying like, take advantage of me. <clears throat> and so I I did these jobs, um, and I was like, you know, what am I supposed to charge this lady? You know, and I was basically like. What what would be a fair wage? What would be a fair wage for an elderly lady who maybe doesn't have much money? And I could have charged her literally five times as much and she wouldn't have batted an eye. But it would have been wrong. It would have been wrong. It would have been taking advantage of her and her finances. So I charged her what I thought would be an appropriate amount, taking into account her financial situation. And, and that's what we have to do. If, if we, in the different situations that we're put in, get those opportunities, um, well, let me, just, let me just add this. So one of the people <clears throat> I referred her to, and I made it clear, like, I've never used this person, but you're wanting some help here, so here's my recommendation to the best of my ability. But it went really bad. So when she was catching up with me and talking with me, um, guess what one of her first questions was? Does this person go to your church? That, that was what she wanted to know. And I was like, thank the Lord, no. <laughs> but that was important to her. That was important to her. Like, and she would have had an opinion. Think about that. If I would have said yes, she would have, that would have uh, given her a different opinion about this church, about the church I go to. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're out there, and we're making a representation to people. We're representing sometimes not just ourselves or our families or our business. Like, we're, you know... I mean, and the reason she asked that was because I had used it as an opportunity to share and witness with her, you know? So that was... She was like, man, where did, this, where did he get this guy from? I think she had forgotten. I, I made it clear I didn't know the person personally. But the point is, we're not just always just representing ourselves or our families or our business. Uh, we're representing maybe our church and... Truly, we're representing Christ, right? I mean, it makes a statement. I remember uh, years, I mean, this was probably 15 or 20 years ago, my, someone, uh, a salesman knocked on my grandma's door. My grandfather had already passed away, talked her into getting like all the, you know, all her gutters replaced. Her gutters didn't need to be replaced, and it was like three or four times the amount. I mean, totally took advantage of my grandma. Thankfully, we were able to stop that from going through but there are many, 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 many people who will gladly take advantage. Well, really of anyone, right? But especially those that might not have the ability to see some of those things. That's where we can be a resource for some of those people. That's where this lady, and you can be praying for her, her name's Janet, I mean, you know, she trusts me. Because I've, I've tried to be fair, because I've taken the time, honestly, I think sometimes she just wants someone to listen to what's going on in her life. So I know if ever, whenever I go over there, it's going to be like 15 or 20 minutes at least before I actually start to do the stuff that she wants me to do. But that, that's ministering to people. And that's helping people out. And that's showing love. Um, she's not widowed. Her husband's in a nursing home, but in a widow-type situation. That's what we want to do. Um, one way to see how we're doing with the poor, the infirm, the disabled... Um, is to see how we're doing with those that are in our midst. Now, that can be challenging to see, depending on the situation, because the pastors, I mean, we don't go around just announcing what families in the church we're helping financially. That's not appropriate. <clears throat> but here's the thing. This is what I try to encourage my kids with. As If you see a need, you try to meet it. Okay? Um, I can't meet, personally, just as a member of this church, I can't meet all the financial needs that maybe some of the sick or the disabled or the elderly might have. But maybe if I'm trying to help with maybe this particular person or this particular person, and then, and then some of you are also, then cumulatively, we can meet those needs. And what we need to do is, we need to stop asking, what is the church doing to help them? <clears throat> Why stop? Because it shifts the responsibility off of you. The question is not, what is the church doing to help them? The question is, what am I doing to help them? And all the scriptures we looked at applied to the members of the covenant community. Every single member. All those scriptures we read, were there any exception clauses? No. The verses applied to the covenant community. Every single member was included in those commands. Now those commands were given to each person in Israel. Not a single one was excluded. Those same principles and truths still hold true today. Who do they apply to today? You. Because you're a part of the covenant community. So imagine an Israelite farmer. He's going out to the harvest, and he's looking at the other farmers in their fields. And he's like, well, they didn't leave much to glean. Why should I? I mean, he's asking, what is everyone else doing? That's really what he's acknowledging. That's the wrong question. What am I doing? You do what's right. You do what's right. They're not the standard. God's word is the standard. You do what's right, let God work with them. And God's heart is for the trio of the downtrodden, the widow, the fatherless, and the sojourner. It must be ours, okay? As a church, definitely, but as individuals. As we see needs, we do what we can to meet them. Maybe it's just the need of service. Maybe it's just the need of time. Maybe it's Maybe it is the need of finances. <clears throat> Earlier this week, one of my friends, doesn't go to church here, was having back surgery and they were <clears throat> trying to list their uh, this house. that had kind of been a, 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 just a pain in the side for them for different reasons. They were trying to list this house and they um, had some stuff that they needed some basically yard work done. <clears throat> so... Um, I said we'd take care of it. So me, my two older boys, Logan and Job, we got up. It's been hot this week. You all know that, right? So we woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning to get out there before the heat got too bad. And we had to link VBS, so we wanted to get it taken care of before then. But in this case, this was a, 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 a situation where this lady, I mean, she was, f- for a temporary time, right, disabled. And she needed help. So service of time. So I think sometimes we've got to look for those opportunities and then we have to be willing to take them. We've got to be willing to take them. All right? I didn't want to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I didn't want to work outside for two and a half hours. I didn't want to sweat all that much. I didn't want to drive around all St. Charles. But I wanted to minister to her, so that overrides those other things. And I want to honor God, so that overrides those other things. I want to be a minister of truth. And I want to meet needs. And each one of us should want to put into action what we see here in these scriptures today. You guys hearing me? So as we're covenanting together, we look, hey, how can I meet it? All right, How can my family help meet needs that need to be met? And then we go to work. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that... The sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. You have a special, uh, they have a special place in your heart, God. You want to make sure that they're not exploited, that they're taken care of, that they're protected and defended, God. And if anyone should be doing that, Lord, it's the members of the Bride of Christ. So let us, Father, be diligent about that work. Thank you, Father, that we had the opportunity to serve at Link this week. I pray for the seeds that were planted, the gospel seeds in those youth's heart. Lord, let it bear fruit. Let it keep being watered. Pray for your blessing on Link and the work that they're doing, God, as we continue to partner with them that you would be glorified. I pray, Lord, that some of us would loosen our grip on our time, loosen our grip on our finances, that that term generous could be said about us. And we thank you that you're your scriptures speak truth. From Genesis to Revelation, your scriptures speak truth. May we enact that truth, God. May we imbibe it. May we walk it out. Let it shine, God, before others. For your glory. Amen.